live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. No one, and I mean no one, is going to outwork this guy. The man has unstoppable energy. Steve Cofield. We like Steve. <laughs> but we don't love Steve. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Friday, Friday. Friday, 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 Friday. John Von Tobel is here. It's Cofield. Here is Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. And we do have football, real football. The preseason games, you can bet on them. But real football coming up. Week zero, college football. I thought it would never get here. You fired up? Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. I cannot wait. I was telling Matt Humans, my uh, co-host, former co-host, over down at uh, VSIN. Now I can say it now. Um, I cannot wait to send him angry text messages at like nine o'clock on Saturday night about Hawaii Vanderbilt. It's it's <laughs> gonna be glorious. You're just expecting to be frustrated. Oh, of course, it's football and it's college football, and you're betting on Hawaii. You know, who is a massive underdog at home against a really bad team. Uh, it's, yeah, can't wait. Let's get to the three. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Yeah, we'll break down some of the college football games for week zero at 3.30. Also, 4.45, we've got two former NFL players on in Mark McMillan and Stanford Route. We've got our college football insider on in Michael Felder. And a Rebel, one of the new Rebel starters, UNLV football opens up tomorrow at Allegiant at 12.30 against Idaho State. So right now... Getting ready for Raiders football because Raiders play a little after 5 o'clock over at Allegiant Stadium. Q and Damon on unnecessary roughness are going to be handing it off to uh, JT the Brick and Eric Allen, the former NFL player. That's on Raider Nation Radio 920. They go live on Comp a little after that. And then kickoff is 515 for the Raiders and the Patriots. What were your impressions of what you were reading on social media? Because I didn't get to talk to you much on the air mm-hmm. about what you were reading around the joint practices between the Pats and the Raiders. It was quite the tale that was spun by both local media members and New England media members. Well, I mean, and actually it was weird because at least what I read, it was kind of all in the same direction, which is the Raiders are going to win 12 games this year yeah. and the Patriots are going to be in the running for the first overall pick. And that, like, that's kind of been the theme for both teams, I thought, throughout like, training camp. I don't think I've read a single positive report coming out of New England, whether it's these joint practices or all training camp long. And the same could be said of the Raiders. Outside of reports on individual players, like the poor punching bag that has become Alex Leatherwood, it has been all positive. All positive. So, of course, I joke. I don't think the Raiders are winning 12 games or the Patriots are winning two. But that's pretty much all I've seen coming out of both camps. All, it, was, it was just kind of like a smaller version of what we've seen all, all preseason. Well, I've questioned all week is that what was happening was really what was going on out, uh, out there understood by a lot of the media. Because Josh McDaniels also pointed out that what you see sometimes in practice isn't necessarily real. Sometimes things are set up for people to fail. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the other thing is I think you've got a unique media group you know, New England is very much like New York and Philadelphia. I think they're going to skew more towards freaking out and freaking out the fans while 
you know, some of the West Coast markets, and this is a you know, relatively new media market for the NFL, not that they're going over the top to be rosy. They're going to be positive. They can be positive. Maybe they're just more objective and there is no agenda to be super negative. Or my theory that I told Willie yesterday was Bill Belichick wants his guy to be really good in his second stint, though, so he threw the practices. <laughs> he wants – he'll throw a bone to McDaniels right. to make the tree, the Belichick tree, which is very wilting, <laughs> very much wilting. Not even a tree. Because uh, the guy that people will point to – Actually, a couple of them. Brian Flores wound up getting you know blown out, and we'll see. He'll, I think he'll be a coach again. But the really the only other guy really isn't part of the tree, and that's uh, the coach in Tennessee. Why am I blanking on his name? Vrabel, Mike yeah. Vrabel. But he really he wasn't one of the coaches, right? right? But in the He's past, the other player. guys have been a disaster. I mean, Mangini had a little success and then fell apart. Bob, Charlie Weiss, you Bill know, a disaster. Romeo Cornell, just okay. <laughs> I don't know how you want to judge Bill O'Brien. I guess successful, but not really, considering the team he had and the division he was in. Yeah. So Belichick is just throwing him a bone. He's like, he before he came in, he's like, look, guys, let's take it easy on him. But if I were Raider fans, I'd be fired up by the, of the strength of your team as your quarterback and your receivers. We're going to find out what's going on with the offensive line. We may find out sooner than later what's going to be happening at right tackle because we'll get some updates on Alex Leatherwood in just a little bit. I'm concerned for you. Is everything okay at home, I saw about 45 minutes ago, a lot of frustration. A lot of frustration at the Von Tobel home. Uh-oh, what happened? Did, I saw a tweet from wife? your wife. Oh, let me see this. I can't eat anything in front of my boys. Oh, dude. It's they a want nightmare. a taste of everything. It is. They're a- making your wife miserable. But they are hungry, growing boys, although the older one is skinny as hell, so maybe she, maybe she should give up some of that food. She's also very skinny. Yeah. No, they can't. It's, it, she is extremely skinny. It's ridiculous. Um <laughs> As I've told her before, my compliment to her is if I stabbed her with a steak knife, it would poke through the other side. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's a compliment. Um, Don't stab her. No, I won't. Um, but no, like, so the kids, so we have two, we, I have two kids, for those who don't know, a four-year-old and an eight-month-old. And the four-year-old, Diego, his thing is if he sees you eating something, he won't ask. He'll come up to you, and he'll just be like, I love you, Dad. <laughs> and I'll be like, come on, dude. Like, what do you want? Like, of course you want a bite. And so he's like, what do you got? And I'm like, all right, so you got to share it. The other one, since he's still, you know, potato-esque because he's only eight months old, will just start screaming, just start yelling when you have food. Like, so we got to give him puffs or whatever. <laughs> it's, it is ridiculous. I do that, too, even at this age. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you're eating a snack, sure, you just start yelling. Every restaurant experience is very right. uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a nightmare. Now, here's the thing, though, and this goes back to our parenting styles. What do you think I do when my kids want something that it's mine? Suck it. Yeah, you don't hand it, you don't hand <laughs> right. it over immediately. These, these are mine. Yeah. <laughs> and then she gets so mad, she's like, I can never eat. I'm like, no, you can. Yeah. You're an adult. Yeah. Tell them no, it's your food, and you'll get them something. <laughs> but nope, never. It's a nightmare. It makes my life miserable. I just want to make everybody happy, Steve. I know. Except your kids. Right, You're going to make them happy down the road by uh, making sure they don't have an eating disorder and they're not obese. Well, that and you know, they're alive, right? Yes. You got a roof over their heads. That's, that's well, I love the, ba- the basics. Right. What more do you want? Of course. You're going to complain? And look, yeah. roof. That's right. You know what he's been Air doing? Air conditioning. You know, so the four, because Diego's getting smarter. You know what he told me the other day? He's like, Dad, you know, I really want a bigger house. Oh, and is I'm that like, right? I'm like, oh, you do, huh? <laughs> okay, I'll get right on that, kid. How long until the, uh, he gets to work? I know, right? <laughs> that, oh, all the time. Like, I want this. I'm like, how much does it cost? He's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, exactly. Man, I saw, I witnessed a dad yesterday, one of my friends, uh, just... 
dressing down his 17-year-old son because uh, his son wanted to go to uh, one of the local chicken joints and get some mac and cheese, and all of a sudden it became a real big issue over the price point. <laughs> I was like, I like this. Yes. It's like seven forty-three for mac and cheese. The kid's like, it's good, though. And he's like, it's not that good. I, no, you can't have it. I'm like, all right. I had an ultimate. This is my oldest old man moment I've ever had. I was, I don't know what Isabel needed that like financially. It was like something that we were going to buy, but we didn't necessarily need. And I literally did this. I took off my glasses and I was like, why do we need this? Yep. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was the biggest old man move yeah, I've ever pulled in my life. That's my life as I uh, <laughs> hope to move into a house with a five car garage for right. storing all of our crap at some point. <laughs> so back to the Raiders. So big news yesterday, and I don't know that this was examined too heavily because, you know, it's been very secretive with Darren Waller. So Waller has been out except for one day. Right. What, 26 of the last 27 days? Now, Josh McDaniels has hinted that it's an injury. There have been reports that it's a hamstring. McDaniels also mentioned, hey, Waller's been around. He's doing the studying. He's watching the film. So a lot of us have speculated it might be an injury, but this could also be, hey, the injury combined with the fact that he doesn't have a long-term extension like Derek Carr got, mm-hmm. like Hunter Renfro got, that he just decided to go to the sidelines here and not risk injury. So then we see the news yesterday that he's done with Clutch. That was his new agent, which he, I think he had hooked up with them maybe back in March or April. He's done. So I don't know what your first thought was. My first thought was, and this is just speculation, Darren Waller may be a little frustrated. Mm-hmm. The agent's not going to get done, the agency, and he's either going to look for someone else or get the deal done himself. The first thing it had me thinking of, much you know, higher profile guy and much bigger deal, but you remember back in 2010, Alex Rodriguez had Scott Boris as an agent, and there wasn't an extension done yet, and Boris... And A-Rod split, and then within days, A-Rod and the Yankees agreed on, A-Rod's a good agent, 10 years and $275 million extension. And then, of course, A-Rod, it turned into a, just a, a nightmare with Jeter hating on him, A-Rod you know, getting discovered for all of his use or all of his years of uh, performance-enhancing drugs. So I'm optimistic now that something's going to get done. Either Waller's going to get a new agent in, or maybe he'll get the deal done himself. You don't necessarily have to have an agent to get a deal done. Maybe he just got to the point where he's like, all right, this is not happening. I want to freaking play. I want a deal done. Let's get it done. You guys got to get out of the way. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I think the timing is really fascinating. I didn't think of the A-Rod connection. You know, I thought of, like, Lamar Jackson, who's been negotiating his deal on his own. Uh, this seems more of a crucial moment, though, right, because the season's about to start, and now you get rid of your representation. Um, but, no, I, I, I think I'm more in your camp, right? Willie and I talked about this yesterday when the news came down. Willie's been of the thought process that – the Raiders and Waller are in discussions where it's just like, hey, look, we have an understanding. Once we're done with final roster cuts, we'll get this done, blah, blah, blah. My pushback to Willie was, well, if that deal was kind of in place, I don't think there would be a reason to fire Clutch, right? Clearly, I think there's a disconnect between Waller, his agents, and trying to get this done with the Las Vegas Raiders. So I'm with you. I would assume this being done means we're going to get one of two bits of news pretty soon, that he's got a new agent or that a deal is done with the Las Vegas Raiders. Because you'd assume in firing them, he kind of knows what he wants, and that's why he got rid of them. Coming up, big news around the NFL, the joint scrimmage between the Bengals and the Rams with uh, helmets being swung by one Aaron Donald. And, man, 
You know, I, I don't mind the jockocracy creating lots of athletes who become broadcasters because there's lots who can add to the mix. But the last day or so has been a really weird example of Aaron Donald Love and coming up with these new angles on a guy who's swinging a helmet at someone else in a practice, and a lot of folks are defending him. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. We got some fake-ass people in the media. Let's just call it what it is, all right? You got cats that played in the league, and then all of a sudden they get into this realm and they forget what transpired in that locker room in between those lines. Because to go away from the game and all of a sudden forget what came with the game is just egregious and it's unforgivable. But do I think that it warrants a fine? Yes. Do I think that the league should have the ability to fine? Yes. Because you can't trust the organization to be completely uh, objective in how they dole out punishment. So what is it? People are being soft. Former players and media are being soft in reacting to Aaron Donald swinging a helmet multiple times, actually multiple helmets. Or does Aaron Donald deserve some sort of discipline? Stephen A. was all over the place. I think we're going to have more Stephen A. later on because he actually went after Adam Schefter and suggested that Schefter is racist. So that'll be good. We'll do that in the 5 o'clock hour. But Stephen A., I think there are days when he's around former athletes sometimes and he listens to former athletes who also – are not filtering themselves because they're just getting into the media. And Ryan Clark has been very heavy on this is not a giant deal because it's in practice. And it is a massive deal, whether it's practice in a joint practice, in a sort of competition, or in a real game. If you're swinging a helmet, it's a big deal. Listen, I'm not trying to be you know drama dude here. You sound I, soft, I, Steve. I, I understand things happen. I remember when the Miles Garrett – stuff went down I defended Garrett and I said you know what if I were 6'6 and 275 pounds and playing in the NFL I might hit someone in the head with a helmet I might do it that's the kind of person I am right I would lose my cool but I also understand when I do it it's pretty freaking severe and to be like well you didn't play the game shut up please and I mean for Stephen A he played college basketball so I guess you could say hey he played the game but let's not pull the you didn't play the game or even worse you played the game and you're turning your back on the current players like Aaron Donald. This is an Aaron Donald love fest for a lot of people. It is weird. Yeah, it's it, well it, for me. It's it's not even because I never really took away the angle of like played the game versus not played the game. I just don't understand the differentiator that a lot of people are using practice versus game. Right? Like swing like like swinging a helmet, guys, in both venues. It hurts equally if you get hit in the head with a helmet, right, when you don't have yours. It is equally as dangerous if you're swinging multiple helmets and dual-wielding them like you're some warrior. I think, I think what they're trying to tie together here is let's not overreact to stuff that happens in practice like fights. If fights happen in a game, people will flip out and the NFL will discipline. You know, it's like, oh, well, joint practice, fights are going to happen. Yeah, this yeah. is a fight that went next level. He's swinging multiple helmets. We know what right and wrong is. And again, I'm not trying to overreact. Like, do I think he should be suspended? What did Garrett get? Six games. Six games. Should he be out six games? No. I don't, yeah. Does he? Does he deserve something? Yes. And here's the other elephant in the room. We may not have seen Aaron Donald swing helmets out of practice. 
he gets involved in a lot of these skirmishes. Mm-hmm. He does walk that line, and it's probably what makes him a great player and a scary player, too, because he's a lunatic. He can cross the line, but, like, fighting and throwing guys to the ground and throwing a punch is one thing. When you start throwing, uh, when you start swinging helmets, come on, again, we know what right and wrong is in this case. This isn't a, hey, you know, we played the game. You don't understand practices. By the way, we all played the game at some level, even if it's freaking you, you petered out at 12-year-old football. Right. There is a line, even in practice, that you, did, you just don't cross. Right. I, I, I completely agree. I just, when you're looking at it, and I know that there was a, there was a lot of hand-wringing over the word assault, attacking somebody with a helmet is attacking somebody with a helmet. No matter where it happens. I, like, I was thinking about it like from this perspective. If I jump across the table right now and shock you in the face because we're into, into a disagreement, is there a difference between me doing that here versus if I did it to you in studio? It's just part. Well, no, no. Actually, better if you did it when we were sitting at the bar, right, well, yeah, after the it, show. I mean, if it's during the show, that's part of the show. For, you don't understand radio. We're going to get heated sometimes. I mean, sometimes you're gonna, you might throw a punch. Right. Believe me. I think most of the cases we've had punches thrown and fights with uh, Lotus Broadcasting in the sports department. They've actually all been off the air or during a break. If it ever happened on the air, it's different. Off involved. the air is accepted. I've been involved in a couple of fracases. There was no punches thrown, but a couple of uh, intense moments. Of By the way, I flipped that whole thing, but you got my point. And, and that was the point John is making. It's like practice or a game, you're, you're using a weapon. I mean, it's like, hey, if you, in a, in a joint practice, you take the freaking yard marker and you spear someone. Hey, it's, I mean, it's, it's practice, man. These things happen. Right. It's a, it's a flesh wound. Well, I just What's like, a big deal? That's what I'm saying. Like, if, like, where, if, like for any event, like, or do, we, like, do we calculate these things now? Like, uh, he only shot him in the privacy of his own home. Right. He didn't shoot him in public. Right? He didn't endanger people. Like, that, I didn't really understand like, everybody's rushed to kind of do that. And, like, because you're right, too. It was the false equivalency of, oh, it's just a heated practice thing. That's all. I saw some even say, if you think about it, the mistake was putting two teams who just played in the Super Bowl together in a joint practice the, the following summer. Wow. It was like, okay. This was a big topic all week of discussion with the way the Patriots and the Raiders operated and had no issues after the Patriots right. last week were brawling with the Panthers. And, by the way, after the Raiders – Last year, we're brawling with the Rams. Eh, Rams in both situations here, huh? Mm-hmm. Maybe this is something McVay likes. And by the way, I, apparently McVay never tells Aaron Donald to calm down. Because well, I mean, he, he does go over the line a lot, and he does it to his own teammates sometimes. I think I think very early in training camp, uh, he and one of the like a rookie offensive lineman got into it, and they're, you know, they're, yep. they're freaking throwing each other to the ground. I mean, think about the makeup of the team, right? It's a veteran-laden team, top-heavy with a bunch of guys who have been in the league for a while and are good at what they do. Mm, I would assume... That's a team where you're gonna let you're gonna let them police themselves for the most part, and that would include allowing Aaron Donald to get like, as you say, froggy sometimes and get into some fights. So Ryan Clark defending him, Stephen A defending him to a certain extent, although then contradicting himself saying the Rams need to take care of it and he deserves a fine. Was Booger McFarland a little inconsistent? in the way he was addressing this Aaron Donald swinging his helmet stuff. All right, so I'll read you two tweets. First one is from yesterday. Uh, if the NFL, this is from Booger McFarland, starts disciplining players for what happens in practice and training camp, then they are officially going down a slippery slope that they should not. Different, obviously, in the game, obviously. But this is practice, man, okay? This is from the Miles Garrett situation. 
Miles Garrett violated code amongst the fraternity. We compete against one another until the edge of destruction within the rules. Afterwards, we take our helmets off, shake hands, and wish each other well. We never intentionally try to hurt each other. He committed a crime and should be charged. He committed a crime and should be charged. Ooh, okay. The, so that the, one's interesting. The exact same action. The right. exact same action. Because it happened under the lights, it's a crime and he's got to be punished. But, yeah, slippery slope if you're going to do this because they're in practice. It's summer. Boys will be boys, buddy. I, I, I don't it's get weird, it. It's weird, isn't it? So What's weird. going on today? It's so weird. And, like, and, then this is, and let me be clear, too. I actually thought six games was a lot for Miles Garrett. I thought I, it was ridiculous. Right. And I'm not pushing for Aaron Donald to be suspended or whatever it is. I just think all of you with your weird sliding scale of justice are stupid. Like, it's, there's no difference between a game and practice. It is the action of hitting somebody in the head with a helmet. It is the exact same action. One could argue Aaron Donalds was more dangerous because there were multiple people in his vicinity and he was swinging multiple helmets like Jon Snow in the, whatever the battle was when he's faced off you know, in Game of Thrones. <laughs> like he was going nuts, right? So I'm not pushing for anything. I just think we do this all the time where it's like this weird, like inconsistent judge of things. And this is one that is perfect. The exact same action, but some of you are like, ah, it's practice. It's different. It's not. Well, now we've got receipts though, right? Like you just said. Right. We've got old tweets and... Overreaction. So we got overreaction on Miles Garrett, and now we're getting, I guess, a less than stellar reaction. I'm not going to say underreact, but defense of Aaron Donald. It's weird. Cleveland media and fans are noticing it. They're like, this is ridiculous. Yep. Miles Garrett got a suspension, and you guys are defending Aaron Donald. Now, here's the other, the other interesting thing here is pro football talk. Mike Florio said, apparently, practice. Action is not under the jurisdiction of the NFL. As, as, as compared to games. I don't know. As compared to, I don't know, sexually assaulting potentially 30 women? Apparently anything away from the, the field. If it's practice, we have no jurisdiction. Beyond that, we, yes, we have jurisdiction. So Even if the legal system in the United States says, no, there's no charges, we're still going to hand down a penalty. Even better. And we're going to get to this with Matt Ariza, the uh, punter for the Bills, formerly of San Diego State, who's being accused of rape. The question was thrown out there, have or has the NFL ever disciplined a player before he got to the National Football League? This is where the NFL has got itself in a terrible position with precedent and with the judge, jury, and executioner thing. You know that Terrell Pryor was disciplined for receiving and benefiting you know, monetarily off of memorabilia. Remember that whole scandal at, at, at Ohio State, tattoos? Yep. He got five games. I forgot it was that many. He got five games. Practice is different, though, Steve. It's not. And anyone who wants to argue it, you can do it, but you sound like a fool. And you didn't play the game. You don't know more than us. We can see on video what he's doing, both the Garrett action in-game and Aaron Donald at practice. It's the same thing. Stop coming up with excuses. Stop trying to be contrarian. Stop trying to push back. I wish Miles Garrett would say something. Yeah. And, and here's the thing, and this is this is the uh, the, the city's part about it too. Is hey, bro, Miles, he's also going to be your competition for defensive player of the year. Speak up. Get him suspended. Like help yourself out. Well, on top it, of the precedent that was set with you because you you went after Mason Rudolph in the game. At the bare minimum, how about the Bengals just right. raise a stink about it? Yep. Like wait. You can, you can attack us with helmets, and it's fine. 
No, it was okay. Well, he had a third stringer. The guy well, was going to get cut anyway. And if, and if Bengal fans and media want to go back for you know, and, and point out all the suspensions over the years that the Bengals have got uh, many times just in-game action just for hard hits. Well, and here's my question, too, is let's say it's Jamar Chase in the middle of that scrum, and he gets rung up by a helmet. Well, we know. I mean, we know right. outcome determines so much and, and PR and optics because you can't really see what's going on here. It, it lessens the sting of it, and, you know, the Rudolph – and Garrett thing was on national TV. It was out in the open. But you're right. What, what if Jamar Chase is, you know, is concussed for half the year? Oh, we're talking about him being suspended. We are. We're results. It's, it's all about results. That's all it is. We cannot. There is no nuance to anything. And this isn't even nuance. It's the exact same thing from a previous incident. Football on the field kicks off tomorrow. Real games, not preseason games. College football, week zero. Big, big weekend for the Mountain West Conference. And Von Tobel will come back with a couple of his hot picks. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. He took a million dollar pay cut and agreed to a new contract that essentially cuts his buyout to seven and a half million on October 1st. So essentially, Scott Frost agreed to a deal that's going to make it easier for his alma mater to fire him if it doesn't work out this year. If there's ever a must win opener for a coach, Scott Frost is facing it this weekend. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. I like Pete Thamel, but that's stupid. Must win. I mean, I understand the setup here. Scott Frost is under a lot of pressure. He's 15-31 and 31 in Nebraska. He went 3-9 and nine last year. They also set a record by losing, what, uh, 10 games inside of six points. Well, they couldn't have gone 3-9 and nine last year and lose 10 games, but they had 10 games inside of six points. Must win? Yeah, they need to win it. It's not a must win because they can win a lot of games this year. But I get the point. There's some pressure on it, it's must win because of this, because of Husker Nation, right? If they get off to a bad start, they lose to Northwestern, a team they beat 56-7 to a year ago, the fire gets turned up. Right. But that doesn't mean they can't have a good season. As, as I just said, they were in all these close games last year. Now, the problem with last year was they were a poorly coached team. They were in the close games in, in many ways in spite of the coaching staff. Their turnover numbers were horrific. Penalties were terrible. Now they went out and they got some reinforcements. So they got a new quarterback situation. And Casey Thompson should be good. I think he should be better than Adrian Martinez from they the turnover standpoint. Got, he, he, he should be. Yeah. We'll see. They got Mark Whipple in his the o, you know, OC. I think that's going to be interesting because Mark Whipple – Likes to throw the ball, which, thinking back, I don't know. If, I, I've talked about Pat Narduzzi, the pit coach, a lot. He's a weird guy. Pat Narduzzi was actually talking about his new offensive coordinator and ripped on Whipple by saying, our guy last year wouldn't run the ball. Like, you had Kenny Pickett. Right. And if, and if he didn't run the ball enough, you're the head coach. Right. Tell him to run the ball. Talk about an excuse maker. And Pickett ended up being a first-round pick yeah, because then, of it. Like, and, frankly, because you throw it, because Pickett was able to thrive, you had a great year. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was too good for me. But Whipple is going to bring more of a passing attack to Nebraska, which is what they've always needed to do, move into the, the modern times here. Uh, this line, I think, hit a peak of 14 yesterday and has just steamed down. Now all the money is coming in 
on Northwestern. Did it bounce back today? Because I saw it as low as 11 and a half. Uh, when I left uh, the South Point, it was still 11, 11 and a half. So unless it's moved a lot in the last, what, hour or so, uh, that is still the case. And look, to your point, and part of, so part of the line move back was hitting 14, right? You're going to get buyback on a key number like 14. Um, there are rumors abound that uh, the Huskers, let's say, are enjoying Dublin quite a bit. And it goes to your point. Oh, my God. Scott Frost's teams have been wildly undisciplined since he has been there, right? And it's all fun and games when you have arguably a more talented team in a somewhat lesser conference when you're in the American with UCF. Not so much now when the competition's a lot better. That's a good point. You know what I mean? Yep. And I do wonder if that's the case because part of the buyback was the key number, but part of the buyback was uh, you've seen a lot of Huskers players out and about in Dublin. Let's put if. it that way. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. If a 3-9 and nine team at a school like that isn't focused and hungry to win and can't handle a road trip, yep. then maybe this is a must-win in terms of where Frost is. Because if, if you know that, then you know Husker fans have seen that some of the players are enjoying themselves. You cannot be serious. I'll, I'll, I would call this Are you a- betting it? No, I, I'm not going to touch it. I should have grabbed 14 when it was there. So I, I, I did think that betting this thing under it was going to be worth looking at it. And, I mean, the total's up to like 52, 51 and a half. So we'll see if it keeps climbing. And maybe I attack it that way. Neither team could score last year. Right. And both defenses are pretty good. Nebraska's pretty underrated defense when you look at their talent. Again, it's talking about how disciplined they could potentially be. But I would agree with that. Um, I lost my train of thought. I was going to add something to it. It's all right. We'll move on, on to uh, a couple of the Mountain West games. Utah State. Going against UConn. Oh, yeah, baby. I'm in. I think people look at the number and they're like, what? 27. Oh, it's not 27 anymore, baby. There's a lot of disrespect or lack of knowledge on Utah State. They had a really good year last year. They weren't good defensively, but they can throw the ball. And Logan Bonner is built like me. Right. Right? He's six foot and probably about 250 pounds. But he can throw it. And he's got good backups, too. And, And you and I were talking about it. During the offseason, you know, he hurt his knee at the end of last year. Was he going to be ready for game one? Apparently he's ready. And you know what? If he falters, then they have other guys behind him. Well, and also, I mean, look, I mean, who knows? Like you said, the um, name escapes me, the kid who actually led them to the L.A. Bowl win last year, uh, their backup quarterback who is there. He's uh, actually the third stringer now. Uh, yeah, okay. Levi Williams came in from Wyoming, who's a really backup? good prospect, a okay. 6'5", 230 dude who can run, Yep. you know, who had been battling Sean Chambers at Wyoming. But keep going. So, um, so maybe Bonner doesn't even play the entire game. And think about the stretch that they have to him, and they have Alabama coming up. Here's the other thing about this, though. I, I, I don't hate the hire of Jim Moore Jr. I, I think he's going to be, like, solid with that team. I don't either. His offensive system, I think, is one that would maximize the talent. And, like, they bring in Taquan Roberson, who is a transfer from Penn State to play quarterback, right? They have a lot of returning guys. It's 15 back from last year, so you would assume some improvement. And the weak link for Utah State, I think you would agree, is their defense. Last year, it was fine. It wasn't great. And they only bring five guys back. That is a defense that is susceptible to being scored on. And when you're talking about staying within 27 for a team that's got a lot of returning production and a solid offensive system, I took 27 with them. How far down is the number gone? It's a half point. It's 26 oh, okay. and a half. Yeah. It's going to drop tomorrow. I, I'm curious to see what happens. Oh, I think it will. I think it's going to drop. I think that will be one, big, one of the big movers because yeah. you're going to have a lot of people who are like, who's Utah State? Oh, Jim Moore Jr.? Yeah. And then if, they're, if they follow college football a little bit, oh, Moore Jr. brought in like eight or nine power five transfers, which I'll point out means nothing. It means nothing. Unless you go to the two deep and all eight or nine have already moved into the two deep, yep. then it means nothing. Because just because you get a power five doesn't mean they can play at the next school right away. 
Oh, I mean, we see it all the time, right? But I, I would agree with that for the most part. I think I just think Utah State comes into this a little overvalued by the betting market. Okay. And, and, and for me, too, like you see a lot of, like, to your point, you're still going to see a lot. I've seen people already just go, oh, UConn, they're terrible. I'm laying 26 and a half. You know, <laughs> you know? Having no idea really what's going on with Utah State. And to me, the bigger point overall is just I really don't like Utah State defensively. I think they're, they're in for a very average year at best. We'll get to Wyoming and Illinois later on. We'll get to Nevada and New Mexico State. Other big games this weekend in a, in a short slate. I know John has a play on the Hawaii game against Vanderbilt. We'll get to all of that. But on the way back, a little bit of UNLV talk as they get ready for Idaho State tomorrow. This, is, again, is a hungry team. Uh, lost. Six times with games decided by eight points or less. Went 2-10, and ten, a lot of returnees, a lot of new guys. I mean, they've had to sit on this two-win season for a long time. We'll talk to Jare Williams, one of the new starters, coming back. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield & Company. Busy weekend. You heard it there from Doug. It includes UNLV playing Idaho State in the opener at Allegiant. That's tomorrow at 1230. Learfield goes live with its pregame show at noon with Caleb Herring and Russ Langer. Excited. I'm real fired up because there's a lot of new players on the team. There are also a lot of guys who had their seasons cut short last year who are coming back, you know, bigger and stronger. They've got a lot of hunger. Jare Williams is one of the really interesting dudes. So Jare Williams... And you'll hear this in this conversation I had with him during the week. Jerry Williams' story of getting to the UNLV football team is uh, a story of perseverance because it didn't look like he was going to be able to play college football coming out of high school. And then he was on the verge of playing last year, and the NCAA came in and said no. So he's been off for a couple of years, and that's how I started out the conversation with Jerry Williams, who is on the depth chart, the starting nickel corner. Jerry Williams out of Louisiana. We started off the conversation, hey, you haven't played in a couple of years. I mean, you got to be freaking jacked just to get on the football field and play a real game. Man, I've been having anxiety attacks lately, dog. I catch myself waking up out my sleep. Like, I just, I dream about plays we call and everything. I just can't wait, dog. Can't wait to get out there. So, talk about what you've done, especially last year, to stay active, develop a role as a leader. How did you stay involved? So it took me a while to get into it, and I had D-Wade, and Coach Jay helped me out a lot. But then I told Coach Jay, I'm like, I just can't sit here. You know, we wait around to see, like, what NCAA is going to decide. So I'm like, let me go on scout team every day I have to develop. Like, I'm going to give them a better look. I'm going to make them better. I'm going to practice as hard as I can every day. And so, and just being more positive as a leader, bringing guys on and stuff. So that's what I really focus on, being better as a practice player and getting my offense better for defenses they face every week. All right, so what was it like last year as you're watching the season unfold? A lot of close games, but a lot of losses. I mean, that must have been frustrating. You're doing all the work to get them ready, and I'm sure you were dying to get on the field. Yeah, so my main focus was never be that guy that I would have did this, I could have did this, y'all should have did this because I would have did this in the game. So I just wanted to try to lift them up as most, and a lot of our guys were young, so like, it was bad to see it, but like that's something that we had to do. Like we had to learn how to lose so we can learn how to win this year. Not most of our guys know what it takes. Been in them situations, know how to finish and close games. So like I just believe God does everything for a reason and that's just something that had to happen. So let's go back to the beginning of this whole journey because I don't think a lot of people, you know, know your story. 
do we want to go back to high school? So can you explain high school and then some of the connections that led you to UNLV? So yeah, high school, I wasn't highly recruited. recruited. I went to D2 in Arkansas, Monticello. Ended up getting hurt. Was started thinking to myself like, man, I don't want to be here. Transfer, went to a junior college, COVID hits. Had to leave there, school wasn't in. And then Jacoby, Jacoby with me. He just talked my head up like, man, come move to Vegas, man. You should come out here, you should move, you should live out here, it's be good for you. So I just came out here and I was just out here. I didn't even think about playing football at first. I was just out here working and Kobe, and I just used to help Kobe out, like teaching him plays, going over their playbook, looking at film with him, like how he could be better every day. And he was like, man, like you still got it. And that was the thing, that was the Kobe when he went 0-6. He was like, man, Jerry, you should come out there. I'm telling you, like, you can make an impact. You can make a difference. You can really play. So we talked to Hanson. Me and Kobe and Hanson ended up letting me walk on and I'm grateful for the opportunity he gave me too. He ended up letting me walk on and that's all I needed was the opportunity. It was all she wrote from now. What'd you do for work while you weren't playing football? Man, I worked like six jobs out here. I worked at FedEx, I worked in store shops, worked at packaging, moving, delivering things, just anything on Indeed I could find to get by. Rent wasn't that high too. I had a lot of roommates too. And we used to split rent too. Just a couple of jobs to get me by for a couple of months and have fun with my friends out here. And you mentioned Jacoby Winman. You guys played on the same high school team? Yes, sir. Which is kind of an amazing story because from my understanding, when Tony Sanchez went down to recruit your quarterback, yeah. I think they knew about Jacoby, but I don't know that Jacoby was the primary yeah. target then. So let's think about how this has worked out for you now. Yeah, nah, it, nah that's why I said God got a story for everybody. I just, I, I found it crazy because now I look back on it, I'm like, I used to be so mad about like everything that used to happen, but I'm like, it had to happen for me to lead up to this moment. So yeah, Travis talked to UNLV about Jacoby and then they seen Jacoby film. And Jacoby tried then like to try to get me on at the team right then and there, but then you know, scholarships look and you know how that works out. So I just figured like, it, it was crazy. It's crazy now that I think about it, but everything happens for a reason. That had to happen so I could be as strong as I could be right now to lead me to this position. Have you talked to Jacoby? I'm sure you have. Now that he's in Michigan State, how's yeah. he doing? Oh, he's doing great, man. He got a lot of, he got way bigger. Yeah. But <laughs> he love it here. He still talk about it, like how UNLV, how do y'all look, how y'all doing? It was just, you know, business things. Some things you just got to do. But his wins is my wins, so I'm happy for him. I'm proud of him. I can't wait to watch him play this year. There he is, Dre Williams. There's so much more to the story that, you know, we didn't get to. That part of it is crazy. That's why college football is amazing. They have a couple of stories like this where they've got guys who weren't ready to play college football coming out of high school, and then guys made it to the UNLV roster, and now those players that they knew from high school have made it on. Same, same kind of story with Tyson Player, who's out right now, starting safety with Seneca McKee, who could be you know the number one or two receiver for the Rebels. But this story, I'll explain it again. Tony Sanchez goes down to Louisiana, first of all, like not really in their recruiting zone, right? They're recruiting a quarterback, Travis Mumphrey. Mumphrey, as Jare Williams has said, has to convince the UNLV coaches, like, you want to look at this guy, Jacoby Winman, who was a defensive player but also a wide receiver. He's probably 6'1", 6'1 and a half, 205 when he got here to UNLV. And I remember in that camp, at the beginning of the camp, of all the freshmen right away, Sanchez is like, ooh, I think we got something here. Yep. And then Winman went right in and played as a very under, like a 215-pound defensive end. Arroyo has a really good year with him last year because they moved him from defensive end 
to middle linebacker. And then at that point, you know, people are calling on Jacoby Winman. He gets 25 offers from all different power fives. And now he's a Big Ten linebacker. He's 6'2", 235 pounds. It's, I'd have to go through the list. I would assume it's the best recruit that Sanchez got, got the entire time. And he wasn't a primary target. And then after that, I mean, that Jare Williams part of it where, you know, Jare's like, yeah, they just had me move out. Yeah. He didn't move out here. Doesn't know if he's going to play. And I'm telling you, John, when I spoke to, at the beginning of this camp five weeks ago, when I spoke to defensive players for UNLV, their leaders, Noel Williams at defensive back, Adam Plant, the outside linebacker, you know, TCU guy, and Bishop Gorman, and Austin Ajake, their best linebacker, without being prompted, they all brought up Jare Williams. You know, it would be like, hey, how's the defense better? Well, Jare's a real leader on the back end. I'm like, who? Scout guy last year, and he's not. He's actually the smallest cornerback who's going to get a lot of time. He's 5'10", 185, but he wants to play everywhere. He's an impact guy. So I, I hope it turns out because that, that's a really cool story. You know, we, we've done all this conference realignment bull crap, and we talk about, you know, the upper crust stars and, you know, Jordan Addison, the wide receiver from Pitt. Like, it's these stories that make college football. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the guys who, you know, just fall through the cracks get to school somewhere, and they turn out to be good players. I just like these stories because it peels back the curtain on like the whole recruiting process and whatnot. Like it's not How a, hard. It is. It's not a perfect science in any way, shape, or form. It's not like you know the old NCAA football game where you just get this list of four, five, and three star guys. Like okay, here you go. These are all the best players in the country. Check it out. Sometimes you stumble on gold, and sometimes, like you said, dudes don't get a share, don't get a fair shake, or whatever happens happens, and then sure enough, they pop up somewhere you know years down the road, and they can be impactful guys. But I, yeah, the stories like this are the coolest part of I think college football as well. I think this defense has a chance to be a pretty good defense, and it has to be a lot better than last year. Last year, they were very uneven. They had some games where they were good stopping the run. They had other games where they just got destroyed, and they need more pass rush to help the back end. And the back end has to stay healthy. And keep in mind, the back end last year, uh, and even even this year, they kind of cleared the decks of experienced players, and they let young guys play. Hopefully it pays off this year, because a lot of the young guys that they played as freshmen and sophomores are now a year or two older. And they're bigger. And if, actually, if you look at the group of defensive backs, John, who are going to play, mm-hmm. Jure is the smallest one at 5'10". Everyone else is 6'1", six 6'2". Six six and I can remember, you know, at the end of the Sanchez era, you'd have guys out there who were 5'8", 5'9", 5'10". It does – the range makes a difference, especially tracking the ball. You know, there are, there are a lot of times during a college football game where there's 50-50 opportunities. And if you come up, you know, short 85% of the time, you can't be a good defensive team. So hopefully they're going to get a lot better – as a bigger, rangier team on the back end, tracking balls and defending the pass.